of the Sundays that I've been here. I've been a member here for about six years, um, but we are going to have six mini sermons by six of our elders. All right. Uh, I was I, I this is my second go around and I think you're going to be I think you're going to enjoy what the, the Lord has for you through them this morning. Now, they're going to take a proverb. They're going to explain to you what that proverb means to them, what that means to us as a church and how it reflects uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, now, by way of introduction to the Proverbs. The Proverbs are about, they focus on our character and our conduct. Um, their instructions cover a wide range of everyday situations. It's a very practical book. Um, now, scholars say that the Proverbs were written by a collection of authors. And the main author was King Solomon, who reigned from about 971 B.C. to about 931 B.C. And in Proverbs, there's this, this pattern. It's Hebrew poetry. So the first line will have a thought, and then the second line will have a similar parallel thought. Um, from that kind of um, literature, you'll find that Proverbs have real power in, with the, Ill, the Ill imagery and the illustration that, that comes to us. So with that, I want to introduce you to our first speaker this morning, the chair of our elder board, Greg Walters. Greg? Thank you. Welcome. No applause necessary. Thank you. Thanks, Lloyd. I appreciate that. Pastor Nick is on a well-deserved vacation. And uh, last I heard, he was heading out toward Mount Rushmore or something. So uh, I hope he's having a great time with his family and uh, extended family. It's our pleasure to be here this morning and to... Uh, share from our hearts, and I know I speak for all the elders when I say it's a little intimidating uh, because it takes six elders to equal one Nick, I think, today. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, Nick is gifted in some wonderful ways, and it gives me an opportunity to just say thank you for Pastor Nick and Pastor Lloyd, all the work that they put into messages every single week. I mean, just doing the short preparation I had to do for this. Uh, having to do it every week is an awesome responsibility and one that I appreciate and I applaud Nick who's not here and Pastor Lloyd. I appreciate all the work that you put into it. One thing you're not going to hear this morning is none of the elders are going to talk about Proverbs 31. How many know what Proverbs 31 is about? It's about the godly woman. Uh, there's a verse there that says, uh, a good wife who can find, that's Proverbs 31.10. All the elders uh, talked about it and we thought, well, we found godly wives, you know? So it's an answer. We've answered that question. There's no need to preach on that for us anymore. We have, uh, by God's grace, have wonderful spouses in our lives. So let's get into uh, Proverbs a little bit. Get my name off that screen there. Here's the verse I'd like to focus on. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you heard that one before? Well, I grew up with a verse like that. And uh, for me, Proverbs is a lot like rocking chair wisdom. I don't know if you know what that one means. It's like someone sitting on a porch in a rocking chair, kind of like that one. And they're just sharing experience, sharing truth, sharing uh, just basic principles of life. And this is one that I grew up with. Uh, I don't know who you'd put in that rocking chair. Maybe it'd be a grandfather or a grandmother or mother, father or a teacher or a Sunday school teacher. But for me, I'd put my mother in that rocking chair. She would have been 92 years old last week. She's no longer with us, but uh, I sure remember all that she taught me. This proverb 
came in very handy in her life. She was a pretty quiet woman. She didn't uh, get down on us kids too much. I mean, I had three brothers, and the code at our house was, do unto your younger brother what your older brother has done unto you. And I was in the middle, so I did kind of the, I got this, and I passed it along. Uh, But uh, in our house, we had a code that we didn't use words like, shut up. We didn't use that word. We didn't use words like idiot or stupid. You know, that was just not acceptable in our family. And we were called out on it when we used it. We just, my mother just drilled it into us that we were to treat each other with respect and honor. But she still had a way of uh, communicating truth in a really remarkable way. Sometimes we would get into fights, uh, as brothers do. And uh, the next day, I'd find on my desk the Bible open to this passage. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I know when my mother had put that there, it was stronger than any lecture she could have given me because it was truth. I knew it when I read it, even at my young age, that, yeah, that's the way it should be. If you give anger, you get anger. And uh, she would share that verse rather frequently with me. She uh, always put it on my desk, and I haven't figured out why it always ended up on my desk, but uh, uh, it got through to me. And it wasn't just used in uh, conflict. Uh, She also left encouraging words for me, little notes she'd write of scripture verses, or she'd open it up to another passage. So I remember my mother sitting in that rocking chair of wisdom, sharing Proverbs 15, 1 with me. Many of you know that I, I spent quite a few years in radio, about 40 years, And radio is all about words. Proverbs is all about words. It's all about truth. Radio is all about finding compelling words to describe truth and describe a a whole host of things. But I want you to know in my 40 years, I've discovered the most powerful words any radio person can utter. You know what those are? You want to know? There they are. (laughs) Really deep, isn't it? Call now to win. If you ever say that on the radio, be ready. Your life is going to change dramatically because uh, when people hear those words, they are stirred. And that's what Proverbs does. It stirs us. It's filled with truth. God's word is just powerful. Communicating to a youngster like I was with Proverbs 15.1 or even sitting here in church. If words had no value, what are we doing here? Words stir our hearts dramatically when they're shared from the heart. As strong as Proverbs is, and as powerful as the truth of Proverbs is, it falls short in communicating all of God's truth to us. When God wanted to communicate his love for us, he didn't just give us A equals B, B equals C, therefore A equals C, which is kind of the way Proverbs is set up. He wanted more, a deeper communication, a heart communication, a love communication with us. So, this is what he did, John 1.14. I love this verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's about Jesus. Proverbs is a wonderful book, but God's ultimate communication to us is not in just the truths of Proverbs, but it's in the truth of Jesus. He embodies all of the truth of Proverbs. 
and he embodies our life with God. Proverbs is a revelation of God's absolute consequential truth to the human experience. Jesus amps that up. Those are my words, trying to be a little cool, I guess. Uh, Jesus amps that up light years beyond to where he is literally the embodiment of God's truth in the midst of the human experience. I like this quote. Without an understanding of God's love, will, and power as a living and active force in the world through the Logos in the Christ and through our participation in the Logos, the Christian message becomes a lifeless and inconsequential set of doctrines which can be accepted or rejected without bearing on one's life. To me, that's the difference between reading the truth of Proverbs and reading about the life of Jesus Christ. When I read about God's love in 1 Corinthians 13. It points to Jesus. It's Jesus living that love. When I read about God's forgiveness in 1 John 1, 9, Jesus is the living embodiment of that truth. When I read about the book of Proverbs, it just leads me to Jesus because he is the living word. I'll close with this. Jesus is the absolute final revelation of God's wisdom, God's truth, and God's character as best we can understand it in this world in which we live today. Jesus is the living word. He is the living book of Proverbs. And I'm going to ask Jerry to come up. Jerry is a brother elder. He can refurbish your kitchen and then bake a wonderful cherry cobbler in it. One of the best this side of Door County. So I'm anxious to hear what Jerry can share. Thanks, Greg. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I chose Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 for my talk. Whoops. And it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so I'd like to try to illustrate the meaning of this proverb to me. Picture a young man, 18 years old, living in a little old rented house and feeling free because he's finally on his own, out of high school and out from under his parents' control. He's got friends that he thinks will be with him through thick and thin. He and his friends decide to host a party at their house. Lots of people are there. There's loud music, plenty of alcohol, marijuana, and then someone brings out some LSD. The young 18-year-old never wanted to be out of it or miss out on anything exciting, so he takes a pill. He sits back on the couch and in a little while begins to feel himself slipping away from reality. Suddenly, the music changes to strange-sounding blips and then changes to silence, as if his ears didn't work anymore. A sense of panic begins to set in as he looks around and can still see all of his friends, but he realizes that he is slipping into eternity. He's totally helpless, and there's nothing his friends can do to help him. 
He experiences fear like he's never known before. Like the blood has all left his body and he's white as a ghost. Somehow he turns to God and says, If you're there, please help me. God answers and comforts him and allows him to come back for another chance at life. This is a true story, and I was that 18-year-old. And 41 years ago has passed since that happened. So Proverbs 18.24 is really a good illustration of my life. I was living my life for the acceptance and approval of people when I should have been seeking Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 13 to 15 says, Greater love has no man than this, or no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So for those of you that don't know Jesus as your friend, and you're still trying to go it alone in your life, I implore you to turn to Jesus and accept his offer of friendship. When you finally realize there's nothing you can do and no one to turn to for help, you can turn to Jesus, and he'll be there for you. Thank you. Every 
Thanks, Tony and Nicole. Um, I'm usually here just first service, so I don't get to hear the second hour bands, and it's a real pleasure to be able to listen to them, and especially Tony and Nicole. And um, If I was perfectly honest, I'd say that I like watching what Tony's doing on guitar and stealing some things I can do later first hour, so I learned a lot from Tony. My name's Frank Pekovich. Um, I've only been on the elder board a, a year, so I'm still kind of learning how this works, but some ministry areas I'm involved with include um, the worship band, uh, I teach in our kids' celebration program. I teach our third, fourth, and fifth graders. Try, try and teach those kids. Um, I'm a member of the board for our, our two schools, uh, High Point Christian and Abundant Life. One of the areas of ministry I'm not involved in at all is preaching. So uh, this is really new, and I'll, I'll trust in your uh, patience and your, and your grace in advance here as I talk about Proverbs 27, 21. Uh, that proverb reads, reads, The crucible for silver in the furnace for gold, the people are tested by their praise. This proverb warns us about praise, and it's a warning that's needed in a culture that dishes out a lot of praise for all sorts of things, both significant and trivial. We rightly praise 50 years of a godly marriage, and then we also praise a group of kids for graduating from kindergarten. We praise um, heroes for sacrificial deeds. We praise athletes and celebrities for entertaining us. 
Um, we live in a culture of praise. And God's word here says that, that praise is a test of what's inside our hearts. And I find that interesting because it's not what I expect. I expect that if you want to find out what's inside a person, you look at them when they're down, when they've been um, discouraged after some criticism, um, not by praise. But in the same way that we, get, we find the impurities and the gunk and precious metal by heating it up, we find out what's inside of us by throwing some praise at us. The Message Bible says it better. It says, the purity of human hearts is tested by giving them a little bit of fame. you believe that? To me, I thought it was when we were ignored and criticized. But it says here that it's praise. And I think in your own experience, when are you more likely to be close to God, more likely to be in prayer, on your knees, seeking him, being humbled? It's usually after some kind of defeat or disapproval, disappointment. We don't like it when we're in that place. But when we're there, we're really safe spiritually. Are we as safe after our victories in an atmosphere of pride? Are we safe from our idols then? I'm not. If you want to see me puffed up and full of myself, what you do is you wait till after I've had a little praise and let it bake for a while, and then you come, come look at me. What does it do to you when you hear the applause? When others praise you for your achievements, your knowledge, your appearance, your kids, your stuff, your service to the Lord, how do you handle praise? And I might add that if you believe this proverb, then we should be real careful how we encourage um, our brothers and sisters, and that our encouragement to them is not in the form of a, of a flattering praise that tests their hearts. So where's Jesus in this proverb? Well, first, Jesus is our perfect example for how to handle praise. And he was tempted all his life from, from the very beginning, when the shepherds came praising him after being out in the fields with the flock, to the kings who showed up a couple years later and dumped a bunch of treasure at his feet, to the people that would make him their king after he fed him some fish and bread. A gospel writer records that the people said of Jesus, he's done everything well. So Jesus was surrounded by the praise of men. In fact, I believe that in the desert and Satan was tempting him, I think that he was basically telling Jesus he could take his kingdom by winning men's praise instead of winning their hearts by dying on the cross for them. I think he was saying, Jesus, you can get all these people to follow you, to obey you, to praise you. Just do a couple miracles. Feed them. Rule them with authority. That's how men take their kingdoms. And Jesus didn't want or need men's praise. He knew what was in men's hearts, and he knew what motivated their words. When faced with that type of praise, he said, Truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval, his praise. The praise Jesus sought was that of his heavenly Father. Second, Jesus is the one we can praise with abandonment. We can praise sincerely without any fear of being over the top, of being too flowery, too grand, because he's worthy of any and all the praise we can give him. I love the hymn that says, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. It's as if the writer had this praise welling up in him and just one voice wasn't enough to express it. If he had a thousand, one tongue, one song, one life, it's just not enough. 
And finally, Jesus is the one we can and should look to for our praise, our right and true praise. The hope of hearing from our Lord the words, well done, thy good and faithful servant, that should put all other praise in its proper place. C.S. Lewis observed that there is a satisfaction that we naturally feel when we please others, when we please those whom we love. But he challenged us to raise our thoughts to what may happen when our redeemed souls, beyond all hope, nearly beyond belief, learn that we have pleased him whom we were created to please. That will be our praise, and that will be our glory. So let's not substitute anything less for that. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Rick Zenda, and uh, I chose uh, a topic of how we can use our gifts to make a, a contribution. Uh, so I, I went to Proverbs and found 11, chapter 11, verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. So how do we save lives? That sounds like a pretty big challenge. Well, we do so by leading people to Jesus. That's what the, the Lord is telling us. Uh, so how can each of us do that? Well, there's, there are different ways for different people. We're all different from each other. In 1 Peter 4.10, we read, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God made each and one of us different. He gave us different personalities, different gifts, different talents. He tells us to use what he has given us. So the question is, will we use it to further his plan, or do we use it to further our own plan? He wants us to serve one another. I was uh, raised... Uh, in a small town in central Wisconsin uh, by parents who had servant hearts. Uh, we just happened to live right next door to our church. So we uh, set up the communion glasses. We cleaned up afterwards. We uh, vacuumed. We cleaned the church. My dad serviced the furnace. That was his business. And uh, I did a lot of mowing and a lot of snow shoveling and gained a lot of experience from that. Uh, so serving was just a way of life in our household because we were, we were there. Uh, my career then has kind of led me to serving other people through uh, serving through state and local and uh, federal programs that address the poor and uh, low-income people, trying to come up with solutions and uh, ways that we can address those kind of issues. Uh, thus, over time, I was led here uh, with my experience to serve in a couple of ways. Got involved with the missions program in year 2000, and uh, and now have been serving on the missions committee for quite some time, and and leading that committee, along with Don down here, co-chair. Uh, had a chance also to help by serving, uh, managing the uh, benevolence fund that you contribute to, uh, which is. Uh, uh, 
another interesting way to serve here. Uh, they've been able to go on short-term trips, uh, which have opened many doors to sharing with others. Uh, we come back and we share with family, friends, workmates, anybody who will listen, we, we share about those trips. Uh, I've been blessed to travel uh, 12 times now to the Dominican Republic. And uh, uh, so when we come back, people always want to know, what's it like serving in a third world country? And that's all I need to bend their ear for a while. As long as they want to listen, I'll, t I'll tell them stories. Um, so it's a great opportunity by doing these things to uh, share what God is doing in High Point Church uh, to help other people. Uh, so I encourage that you do that. If you can't go on a mission trip, then uh, you can share what's going on from the people you talk to afterwards and hear about these things. Uh, you can also share what's going on here through organized service, serving in the community, uh, through congregational care, where we're, uh, we have people that are helping other people right here in High Point Church. So there's lots to share with people uh, that you uh, come in contact with that don't know Christ. Uh, Matthew 5, 4, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It's not uncommon to feel unworthy or unable to be a light to the world. That sounds also pretty daunting. But uh, you can be a light to one person at, at a time, and you can be a friend. You can help someone out. Uh, doing that is, is significant uh, in ways that you may not understand at the time. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For, all, for to all to whom I send, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and deliver you, declares the Lord. God gave us different personalities, like I said, and different gifts. He expects us to use them best we can, and he'll help us do so uh, through guidance uh, by, by prayer. He'll give us that strength. So step outside your comfort zone and don't be afraid. Uh, just a little other story about the Dominican Republic I wanted to share you about, about fear. Uh, in year 2001, uh, our second team was just getting ready to go to the DR in the final planning stages when 9-11 happened. So we had a very difficult decision. Do we go or uh, do we not? And uh, some, including my wife, uh, really didn't want us to take that, that risk at the time. But as a team, we did a lot of praying and decided that we were called to go. And so we did. And 
We weren't afraid. Uh, there was lots of security in the airports, and uh, we just didn't, didn't have a fear. We were just praying throughout that trip. We got to the DR. We found out those people were praying just as much as we were for us, for our country. And so throughout that trip, uh, our mission was accomplished, we felt. And uh, we came back and were able to share many stories about how people were blessed there. We were blessed. Uh, so God is good. And he is always with us. And we should not be afraid and not forget that. So let's uh, bow our heads now in prayer before the offering. You have blessed us with many gifts, and you have challenged us to use them widely, wisely, not just for our own enjoyment, but to share what we have with others. We thank you for all we have when there are others in this world who have so little. May we have the wisdom to be good stewards of what we now offer back to you, Lord, to further your kingdom and to give hope to those who don't know, know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, just in his righteousness alone. Fall stand before the throne. God's grace and how sometimes it feels like our lives ebb and flow in that grace. That we're times where we're walking with the Lord um, and there's times when we're not, but that He doesn't change in spite of that. Thank you. 
написание. Jim and I'm um, my one of my duties on the elder board is to uh, be a liaison between the elders and the men's ministry so I have the privilege of uh, working with Dan Pierce and his team and it's wonderful to see what's happening in that area of our ministry I also have the privilege uh, along with Dan Pinka of meeting once every two weeks with Pastor Nick to hold him accountable for five things that he has asked the elder board to hold him accountable for, which I think is very laudable. And uh, I'm also, along with Dan, kind of the, the, the eyes and ears of the congregation in uh, anything that, um, that we can feed uh, to Pastor Nick to uh, enable him to minister better. We're glad to do that during that time that we have for him, with him. Um, well, uh, for all of you uh, who ever have been to Israel, like John, or um, who are uh, Fiddler on the Roof fans, I want to say, L'chaim. You know what that means, right? What's it mean, everybody? To life. <laughs> to life, Stephen. You were even here for a service, too. All right. Uh, to life. To life. Hang on to that thought as we look at Proverbs chapter 8. Chapter 8 opens up by identifying who is speaking throughout the chapter, and the speaker, of course, is, and the teacher is wisdom. Wisdom with a capital W, wisdom personified. Uh, as we identify the gospel through, throughout Proverbs, I'd like to share where I see glimpses of Jesus, without whom, of course, there would be no gospel. So I'm going to read from Proverbs 8, 32 to 36, and then ask you, who does this passage sound like it might be describing? <clears throat> now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord, but whoever fails to find me harms himself, and all who hate me love death. 
Doesn't that sound very much like it could be Christ speaking just a little bit? But even though these verses are not a direct description of Christ, they do provide a background for the New Testament's portrayal of Jesus as the divine word, as in John 1, 1 through 5, which you're all, most of you, I think, are very familiar with. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Throughout, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Especially compare Proverbs 8:35. Whoever finds me, wisdom says, finds life. With John 1, 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And just as wisdom existed before creation, Jesus, too, existed before anything was created. In Proverbs 8, verse 30, wisdom declares that she was the craftsman at the side of the Father during creation and continuously delighted in that role day after day, rejoicing always in the Lord's presence. Does that not sound or remind us of Jesus who delights in intimate fellowship with the Father and who was beside his side when he declared that humanity, the delightful crown of his creation, was not only good, but very good. Next, in verses 32 through 34, again, wisdom exhorts us to pay close attention to uh, his instruction because those who watch and wait by wisdom's door in order to catch every word and then obey what they hear will be blessed. This reminds me of the crowds that in multiplying numbers followed Jesus and listened eagerly for his next words. And at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, we read, because he taught as one who has authority. Now, the crowds did not identify the source of that authority um, because they could not yet know it, because Jesus had not yet fully revealed himself as the Messiah. They just knew that he must have authority from somewhere simply because they recognized convincing wisdom when they heard it. Reading again from verses 35 and 36, for whoever finds me, wisdom says, finds life. Whoever fails to find me harms himself. What an obvious parallel to Jesus that is, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. You know, we can spend our allotted years on this planet learning how to make a living, but vastly and eternally more wise is to trust in Jesus in order to have a life. Uh, 
This reminds me of Troy and Stephanie. Troy was the UW Marching Band drum major a few years ago when Jackie, my wife, and I led a Bible study for band members, about 60 of them. When Troy was a freshman, I had the privilege of leading him to faith in Christ. And the next year, Jackie led Stephanie to Christ. Both became small group leaders in that band Bible study. And uh, we met with those two individually uh, once a week for discipleship for about two years. They each graduated from the UW Business School and landed really good jobs in Milwaukee. One day I received a note from Troy who declared that on any single day on the job, he applies more of what he learned in the band Bible study about the Bible and about life and how to live it, then, and he applies that more any given day than he does what he learned in the classroom in four years. See, he found what real life was and how to live it, and he valued that more than he learned how to make a living. It's interesting, too, that Troy has gone on to complete a seminary degree, and he's now a pastor of Kettlebrook Church in West Bend. Concluding, Jesus said in the last half of John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the wise course of action is to heed those words of the greatest of all teachers and seek nowhere else but through Jesus and his sacrificial death for your sins in order to have a full and meaningful life here on earth, and to be assured of eternal life with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who comprise the totality of all wisdom. L'chaim. Steve. Okay, which one of you smart elders took my notes? <laughs> That's all right. Uh, my name is Steve Tadovich. I'm currently on the elder board. And um, my two areas of responsibility are the membership committee and baptisms. Um, two songs ago, the words just struck me that through the storm, Jesus is there. Even if we create our own storm. A number of years ago, a good friend of mine was telling me that he was uh, in the hole financially because of a bad real estate transaction. And uh, I said, Gary, well, let's look at it. Maybe we can salvage this thing. I looked at the numbers in the real estate, and I thought, you know, I think we can put this together. However, to make this work, I had to co-sign a note. Now, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-six says, don't promise to pay what someone else owes, and don't guarantee someone's loan. And a couple of friends of mine said, hey, Steve, you don't want to get involved in this? And have you ever had one of those, yeah, but moments? I said, yeah, I know what your word says, God, but I think I can make this work. What was I really saying? I was saying, God, I'm smarter than you are. And I co-signed the note. Two years later, Plans fell apart. I got stuck with a $65,000 mortgage, and I didn't have any money to pay it. So what do you do? I thought, well, 
I will declare bankruptcy and start all over. Then I read in uh, Romans where it says, pay your debts and owe no man anything. So when I read that, God was telling me to pay my debts <laughs> and owe no man anything. Now, I had just gone against God's word and got hammered, so I was not going to go against God's word the second time. <clears throat> if, if you're sitting there wondering what kind of person would agree to pay somebody else's debt, if you back up a couple of verses in Proverbs 17, 18, you don't need a degree in Greek and, and, and Hebrew to understand what this says. It says only a fool would pay somebody else's debt. So I paid Gary's debt. I just purchased Proverbs 22, 26. And um, I confessed my sin to the Lord. I said, Lord, I blew it. I was stubborn, my own self-will. I didn't listen to your word. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to pay this loan off. I have no idea how it's going to happen. I need your help. Big time. Two days later, I get a call from a lender in town saying, Hey, Steve, can you appraise a house for me? I said, sure. What's an appraisal? And he gave me the form, and I filled it out. And two days later, he wanted another appraisal. I didn't know it at the time, but God had just opened the appraisal window in heaven. And it was about to start raining appraisals. That was 33 years ago, more than 10,000 appraisals ago. And it's still raining. I remember the day I paid off that loan, the last $10,000 payment. I remember it not because I made the payment. I remember the feeling I had walking out of the bank. And that has been burned in my mind forever. First thing flashed through my mind. My two girls were just finishing high school and they were looking forward to college. I just gave their college education away. And I was walking to my old junky car, the one that didn't have any floorboards anymore, so when you're driving down the road, you can see the highway zipping below your feet. And I thought, I could have purchased three cars. So the impact of what happened finally hit home, but the thing that really hurt, I could feel the whole world laughing at me. And at that moment, I said to myself, you fool. But God was not done. It's been said that God's word provides and protects. It provides wisdom and direction and protects us from harm and self-destruction. <clears throat> when I chose to disobey God's word, I was in self-destruct mode. But because I decided to finally follow God's word and get that loan paid off, God turned things around. He gave me a job that I still love, and the banker couldn't believe I paid off $65,000. To this day, he thinks my word is golden. Every time I see him, he says, Hey, Steve, you want to sign on the dotted line with a pen and ink? I'll lend you some money. No thanks. Been there, done that. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, You know, you really weren't very smart. You could plug in the word idiot if you like. And you might be thinking, You really were a fool. You'd be right on both counts. You might not be tested with Proverbs 22:26, but you will be tested. Did you ever think of cheating on your taxes? How about taking advantage of somebody else's spouse? Have you treated your neighbor as good as yourself? When was the last time you took the Lord's name in vain? You know, God also has a yeah, but moment. When we confess our sins to him, when we simply admit that we've sinned, God says, yeah, I know, but because I am faithful and just, I will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. 
I like to call that verse the Christian's bar of soap. You can read about it in 1 John 1, 9. Our, our natural sin debt that we've been born with gets larger and larger, just like a mortgage every day. It gets to the point that we can't pay it. Yeah, I purchased a, a measly verse with a few bucks, but God purchased the entire Bible. And he didn't sign his name with pen and ink. He signed it with a cross and his own blood. Every word in Scripture is soaked in blood for one purpose, that we can know God's grace and we can see his redeeming, debt-paying love. First Peter says it this way, You know that it wasn't through perishable things like gold and silver that you have been redeemed from a useless life that was handed to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb. Our debt not only robs us of eternal life, but it robs us of peace, joy, and purpose that we can have in this life. And it gets so big we can't pay it. Only God's word is golden. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. The question is, have you reached out and accepted that gift? Jesus said that's a gift. We can't earn it, but you have to claim it as your own. Have you accepted Christ's payment for your debt by his death on the cross?